Welcome, Bucknerders, to another episode of the Joshua Perry Show. We are pleased to have Joshua joining us. I am still not Dave Biddle. This is Dan Rubin anchoring the show here for one more week. We've got a great show planned for you. Whenever you're a podcaster, you run a message board, and it's the off-season, and what do you do? You put it to the people. Joshua, are you ready to answer some questions from your front row supporters? Absolutely. Joshua, seeing how you went through the process, what do you think is the number one thing that sells Ohio State to recruits? Well, it was different for me because I was a Central Ohio kid, grew up a fan, so that's what sold it to me. Now, a lot of these kids are national kids are getting recruited all over the place, so number one thing is uh, the recent success in the recent history, winning the a national championship in 2014 definitely helps. Going back-to-back in Big Ten championships definitely helps. Uh, guys going to the NFL, getting drafted high every year definitely helps. But also, uh, you know, they put together that little reel of all the things you get to do in Columbus. And if it comes down to, you know, coming to Columbus where you have all of those things to do, you could potentially live here when you're done playing college ball and professional ball or going somewhere else where there's not a damn thing to do, that might kind of, uh, you know, sway the decision for some of these guys. So Ohio State has a ton to offer in terms of academics and athletics, obviously, but Columbus as a city has a lot to offer as well. I was remiss in not mentioning that question was submitted by Joe Buck Guy. This one comes from Buckeye Mark 1997, more current events. In your opinion, why hasn't Baron Browning been moved to outside linebacker? It seems obvious in his interviews that he wants to play there as opposed to the middle. Well, you look at the, the scheme fit, I think that's the, the big thing. Now, regardless of what he wants to play, um, it's where his coaches think that he can best help the team. It's where his coaches think that he can uh, best develop as well. Um, now, I think Baron Browning's a coach's son, so you want a guy like that in the middle of the defense because he's sharp. You know, you can get guys lined up. But I think the thing that's hurting him right now is the fact that he is a coach's son. And so he's he's thinking about the game a little bit too much, and it's, it's causing him to play a little bit slow. So I think once he settles in and truly gets comfortable um, within the scheme and, and, and his role in the defense, I think he's going to be just fine. But for right now, I think that's how they project him, and I think that's also a great opportunity for him to go out there and make plays. This question comes from Chip, I mean King Rat. When you're a freshman or sophomore Buckeye on campus and a bunch of highly rated recruits either verbal or arrive and look the part, how threatened do you feel as a player? Does that have any negative impact on team chemistry? Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting game. Um, to me, it depends on the guy. Like some guys, you know, they, they sit there, uh, they don't play, and they know that the room is crowded, and it's just a matter of waiting their turn because they've got really good guys in front of them. They're not so worried about the guys behind them because they know that uh, it's really hard to come in and play right away and be super successful. Um, other guys have to redshirt, and they understand the only reason they're really redshirting is because they they literally need to put on 10 or 15 pounds before they're game ready. And then they put on the weight, and they're ready to go. Now, other guys come in, and they might have been, you know, the third guy in their position in their recruiting class already, and they bring in a couple guys in the next class. Um, and, you know, they're they're not as athletic as some of the guys in their room. They're like, all right, you know, what am I going to do here? I could, I could try and see if I can develop into the player I want to be, 
or I can spend probably my last years playing football somewhere where I'm actually on the field. And so they go out and transfer. So it all depends. But yesterday I was listening to the radio and there was a unique question about um, trying to get, you know, do you do you try to go after multiple quarterbacks in a recruiting class, especially the way Ohio State's roster is looking quarterback-wise? And it's funny because quarterback is probably the one position where it's hard to justify bringing two guys in a class to the recruits because one of the recruits will probably say, you know what, I'm I'm just not coming here. It's going to be a really crowded situation regardless of what the roster looks like right now because both of those guys are probably going to redshirt anyway. They're going to be in the same class the whole way through. Um, and it's just a tough situation. So those are – it's it's really interesting when you're a coach uh, trying to balance that with the recruiting classes but also having guys on campus. You know, if you're, you're, you're going after some really good recruits in the mentality that, all right, well, if we lose a guy who might be on the fence for transferring, is it really worth it to go after this recruit? So there's kind of a, a mentality and a numbers game behind it. Mark's G-Force has three questions. First, are you surprised how well recruiting is going for the Buckeyes right now? No. Um, we, I mean, there's all – Mark Dantoni's still here. Um, you know, all the guys on offense that are still around were great recruiters. When Urban was here, I did not expect them to become bad recruiters all of a sudden because Urban left. Uh, Ryan Day at one point or another was one of the top recruiters um, in America as a position coach and a coordinator. So – I'm really not surprised it's translated into him putting together a staff that can recruit well. Um, so the the answer is no. Again, there are so many big draws for Ohio State. Um, you know, I, I think that um, the coaching staff itself is a draw because of all of the, uh, the great coaches. You've got guys who've won national championships before. You've got guys who've coached in the league and know what it takes to become a professional player. Um, but also, I think for some recruits, it's a breath of fresh air because Irvin, I mean, he could he could really grind you down. And, you know, he was such a hard closer in recruiting, but um, it's a little bit daunting to imagine yourself playing for Irvin, whereas Ryan Day, you know, he, his thing is, is lead through love, and he's, he's creating an environment where, um, you know, guys are it's a little bit more comfortable. And I hate to use that word because you grow from discomfort, but um, overall I think he's, he's making an environment where guys truly – don't want to think twice about being here. You know, it's like when it comes down to it, Urban and Nick Saban, you're, you're probably going to be miserable for a, a part of your time while you're on campus with them, but you know you're going to be great. But if you feel like you can go somewhere and be great and you're not going to be as miserable, it makes the choice a lot easier. You actually answered his second question there about competitive edge, which was good. So number three here, how different were NFL coaches from college coaches? You were on the then San Diego Chargers you got a taste of what it's like to be yelled at by guys making millions of dollars. Actually, you learned that well at Ohio State, too. What do you think? Uh, this guy uses the example, March G4 says, of Kerry Combs, who's gone from Ohio State now to Nashville and seems to be as beloved with his NFL team as his college team. I'm not surprised at all. If you could compare what you got at Ohio State to the coaches at the pro level, that'd be cool. Yeah, so the one thing I'll say, I'm glad he brought up Kerry Combs. I was always interested to see what his transition was going to be like because Kerry Combs has always been a very honest coach, and Kerry Combs has always been a guy who truly cared about his players. And when you get to the league, I feel like a lot of coaches are shady, um, and I feel like a lot of coaches will lie right to your face, and they're not very fair. Um, and so what's refreshing is his players probably play hard for him, even the guys who know they're, they're going to get cut because Kerry's 
out there putting his honest evaluation. He's telling you how you're going to get better, what you need to do, how he's going to coach you. And then he's probably a guy where, you know, somebody calls him about a player that is on the waiver wire. He's going to give an honest evaluation. He's not going to try to throw you under the bus. Whereas, um, you know, you get a lot of these coaches, they feel like they can't yell at the vets because the vets are paid and they don't want to hurt their feelings or whatever. Um, you feel like they're they're not very honest when it comes to what they say in meetings behind the scenes and what they say to you to your face. Um, and at the end of the day, you know they really don't give a shit about you because uh, you could be here today and gone tomorrow in such a business. And especially the older coaches that have been in the business for a long time, they're scarred because, um, you know, they, they don't want to get too close to a player and then have that player feel sorry that they got kept. But also for these coaches, they don't want to get too close to a player and then that player's not there anymore. And so it's just, it's weird. I feel like in college, if you're a coach that you're all football and you don't spend a lot of time around your players and you don't know them very well and you don't get to know their families, um, you're a bad coach. Regardless of what you know about football, you are absolutely a bad coach because coaching in college is about uh, growing and developing young men and, and helping them with career placement and, and helping them in you know times of transition and earning a degree. And then if they're a great player, helping them get to the league so they can make some really good money. Um, when you're in the league, it's a little bit of a different story. Now you're trying to develop these guys into, you know, whatever their pro potential is, and, and everybody's competing for a Super Bowl. Um, so it's it's truly interesting how different college and pro coaches are. I feel like college coaches should be more honest. They should be more invested in their players. Um, you know, they're almost like a father figure away from home, whereas in the league, these guys are out here, you know, trying to develop their players into Super Bowl champs. That's the kind of insight you're going to get from someone who's been there and done that. Next question from Mason01. He sends in a few here. What are your thoughts and impressions of Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, he's, he's a nutcase. And he comes across like a used car salesman when it comes to recruiting. And it's, you know, climbing up in trees and spending the night at recruits' homes, all that kind of stuff. But what makes me say he's a nut, um, the way he dresses, like he was at Big Ten Media Days last year, um, and everybody's wearing a suit, and he's wearing his tackies and his pullover and his ball cap, and it's weird. And he goes out there on game day, and he wears cleats, and that's weird, and he has the headset with the cord still on it and somebody carrying around the cord to make sure he's not tripping. That's really strange. Um, going to Roos Chris and drinking uh, a nice tall glass of milk with his steak, that's weird. Saying that he doesn't eat chicken because chicken's a scared bird, that's weird. Like, it's just, I don't, he's 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 different. He's just a different bird. And um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's not a great coach. Like, he needs to go ahead and win the big game. But, you know, he's been able to recruit very good players. He's been able to develop some really good players, but he's just a weird guy. By far the weirdest thing is ordering the milk at the steakhouse. You're lucky yeah. they even bring the steak out after that. That's That's ridiculous. Seriously. I mean, he should have got a kid's meal at that point. Uh, one last question from uh, Mason01. Uh, this is a good one. Which coach in your life has had the greatest impact on you? Um, Luke Fickle by far. Um, and at the college level, Luke Fickle was um, one of the – probably one of the greatest coaches I've been around at all levels, but specifically uh, one of the greatest – probably the greatest football coach I've been around. Um, just an honest guy, truly invested in his players, um, was not all about X's and O's, which struck me when I first met him. You know, when I was getting recruited, we talked minimally about 
uh, scheme, and we talked minimally about where I fit in on, on the team, on the roster. And, you know, we just talked about my family, and we talked about his family, and we talked about, you know, what my career aspirations were. Um, you know, we talked about ways that I could develop myself into a grown man, which I thought was really cool. And he was honest with me every step of the way from when I was a freshman and a sophomore, and I, I wasn't where they wanted me to be up until, you know, I, I had 124 tackles my, my junior year during the national championship season and beyond into my senior year when I became a captain. It was always honest conversation. Um, and he, he was invested in my development as well as everybody else in that room. And he was invested in the group success of the linebacker room and the defense and the team. And it was never about his guys. It was never about, you know, we did this, so it's not on us. It was always on us. And it was always about accountability and what more can we do for the team. And that mentality, I feel like, is it's, it's, it's literally amazing. Um, probably second would be um, Mickey Marotti just in terms of how he got me ready to be a college football player and a grown man. I spent a ton of time with him, obviously, because I was in the weight room a ton trying to get big. But, um, again, another guy who was honest, he was invested. Um, you know, he, he always told me where I stood, but he saw in me something that some of the other coaches might not have seen and took it upon himself to, to bring it out through hard situations, which was awesome. Um, a guy who I'd never played directly for, but I have a great relationship with, I trust with my life, and I always hope the most success for him is Tony Alford. And um, it was crazy. The first day, Tony Alford, uh, I saw him at the facility. We were upstairs in the meal room, and he made his little plate or whatever, and he goes and sits down by himself. And he and I think a couple other players up there. And I look at him, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, what kind of weirdo eats by himself and there's a, a table of people sitting with open chairs? And he looks at me, never met me before, and he's like, well, who the fuck are you? And I'm like, excuse my French. I'm like, I'm Joshua Perry, uh, one of the linebackers here. And I'm like, come sit down and eat with us. And so we, we broke bread that day and we chopped it up and we've had a great relationship since. But, um, again, another guy where you look at that running back room and, and the success that they've had, it's largely because of how he cares for his players, um, which is huge. And then me and Urban have a truly special bond. Um, it didn't start off that way. I've told that story a number of times about how he told me he didn't want me around uh, because he didn't think I was a good enough player. But we have a, a truly special bond, um, guy who I'm, I've just really grown to admire and respect a ton and just hope for the best. So we've had super great coaches at Ohio State, and I feel like it's a blessing. Again, you ask why recruits come, and it's because of the character, because guys don't sit there and lie to you and because they're truly invested in you and your family. Um, and it's it's made an impact to me even to this day where I can call on any of those guys. If I need something, they'd be there to help me. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
insight you just can't get in other spots. And here comes some more. All right, Captain Buck, you asked a question that I have a feeling you're going to gain some fans for. Joshua, after JT got hurt in 2014 against that team up north and Cardell was thrown into the biggest three-game stretch of his career, what was the vibe around the team? Were you nervous, fully confident? Did you feel like you guys had to pick up the slack on defense? I don't think anyone could have expected Cardell to be the monster he was for those three games. Also, what was the confidence level that you could beat Alabama and Oregon? So, JT got hurt. And uh, you could feel – it was like, I don't know, you could feel all the air fall out of the stadium, and it was just completely deflated in there. And we ended up winning against the team up north, obviously, but it was just a weird vibe. And I think it was just because, like, you can't go through two quarterbacks in one year and expect to be successful. Like, it's you can be successful, but you cannot expect to be successful after going through two quarterbacks. So um, it put us in a little bit of a compromising position. And at the time, Cardell was growing and maturing, but he wasn't the Cardell Jones that we saw during those three games. We still knew Cardell was, you know, like the, the guy who was goofy and Coach always had him live during spring practice. And, you know, the third-team offensive tackle was getting beat by one of the D linemen, and, and just Cardell was getting murdered during spring practice. Like, that's what we knew him as. Um, and so for us, it was – definitely a shift in mentality to where that defense, which was, we were good that year. We weren't great. Um, we, we absolutely had to, to step up and we knew that we were going to be in a pretty good scenario against um, Wisconsin to where they were limited throwing the ball. So we knew our game plan was going to be predicated on our ability to stop the ball. We could stack our linebackers, three guys off the ball in the box. We could, uh, we could man up our outside guys. Uh, we could man up in the back end, and then we could just call it a gap for a gap, just play your responsibilities and go see ball, get ball. If you're a linebacker and you're caught up in the wash, it doesn't matter because you've got the fullback and you've got the running back, or you've got the tight end, you've got the running back. So those guys, tight ends usually stayed in line. They're a max pro team. Um, and so the scenario for us on defense made it really easy to conceptualize what we were going to do and gain that confidence. But it wasn't until we saw Cardale go out there and drop some bombs to Devin Smith. Um, and, you know, we saw Ezekiel Elliott go out there and break some big runs like he's done all year. But to see him do it again gave us a lot of confidence. Um, against Alabama, it was one of those where we felt like we prepared really hard. Um, we felt like we had a good opportunity, but you just – it's Alabama. So we go into that game, we dig ourselves a little bit of a hole, but we go into halftime and we realize that we're, we're beating ourselves and they're not beating us. So that gave us some confidence in the second half. Um, once we beat Alabama, we knew it didn't matter what Oregon brought out there for the next game. You know, it could have been the Oregon Ducks with Tom Brady playing quarterback and we would have still beat them. That's just how we felt. Um, and just from the beginning, we took them out of their element. They couldn't get their tempo on track. Uh, their defense was completely outmatched. I mean, you got a damn uh, a nose guard getting trucked by your your quarterback is a bad deal. So uh, we just we had a feeling about that game, but it was a hell of an end to the season. And this is one that I think a lot of people would like to know the answer to. From Illbuck1, how much time do players spend reading these message boards? How closely do Buckeyes follow recruiting once they are enrolled? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, don't, I really don't know how many players spend time reading message boards. I'm sure there are guys. Um, you know, like the burner account type guys that, that would. 
but I know everybody's dad does. And so when your dad sees <laughs> he's telling you about what's going on there. Um, I know my dad did, and my roommate's dad did, and I know a bunch of guys' dads read these boards. So um, we, we stay up to date on what we're hearing out there because sometimes, uh, you know, people have sources within the staff or within the facility, and they get information that we're not even privy to. And it's really interesting to see how uh, some insider information all of a sudden actually does happen, and we had no idea it was coming, um, number one. But number two, the recruiting aspect is kind of big, and especially, like you said, if you're one of those guys who's a first- or second-year guy and you're trying to figure out if this is really the place you need to be and what the scenario looks like down the line, uh, you want to be tuned into the recruiting aspect, so it's big. Before we, we before we hopped on the show, you ran through one question um, about was it really Luke Fickle's defense or Chris Ashes and what happened with um, Everett Withers and Luke Fickle. I want to kind of get to that one because it's really interesting. Let's do it. That was GH Buck 23's question. Let me read that out loud. Um, a majority of Bucknut fans believe Chris Ash was a real defensive coordinator, even though he had the co-title. Who was the real defensive coordinator in 2014-15? Who had more say in that defense? Was Luke Fickle demoted, and was Chris Ash the real defensive coordinator? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, I feel like there's there's still some uh, Ohio State fans that, um, wanted to shit on Luke Fickle for calling bad defenses in the past or whatever it was. Um, and so this is a reality of the situation is um, Chris Ash comes in and we absolutely install his defense. It is his system. It's what he coached at Wisconsin. Um, it's what, like, that's the defense that he's known for. Uh, we ran it. But um, Chris was up in the box and he could analyze the game like no other. And so he's watching every little thing, and he's seeing guys that are lined up a half a yard wrong and how it's making a difference. And so he's up there making adjustments. But what Luke Fickle had over Chris Ash or anybody on that defensive staff was a beat for the game. And you talk about in-game adjustments, in-game play calling, um, understanding, you know, hey, our corners, they're playing tight coverage. They're hurting right now maybe we need to call cover two, and Luke could see that. Like, he knew his corners were hurting. Like, let's call cover two, give him a little break here, um, you know, make the safeties run a little bit, and then we'll get him back on the next one. And so, um, in-game, Luke was down there on the field a lot calling the plays. And he was, you know, he had, especially when it came to uh, third down game plan, um, he had the trump card. But Chris was obviously up there throwing out his suggestions from what he could see in, uh, up top, which is big. Um, having a, a coordinator who can see up top and really understand what's going on is huge. But Luke was able to see the pieces move on the field like no other. Um, so that was pretty cool. But it was absolutely Chris Ash's defense. It was just uh, Luke had a, a beat for what was going on downfield level. When you talk about 2012 and 2013, that was Everett's defense, and it was just complicated as all get out. Like, we had too many calls, um, you know, and it was it was like we'd be playing quarter, quarter, half, and then, you get the tight end would motion from one side of the, the the formation to the other, but he's still in the box or he you know he's like that box tight end off the line motioning from one side to the other. And we go from quarter quarter half to uh, straight quarters, and we try to move to a three deep or whatever it was. And it was just so many pieces moving, so many different adjustments, um, and it made it really hard for young players, which our defense was very green at the time, to be successful. And so that's why Chris's system worked. You know, Chris Ash comes in here and he's like, all right, that's it. We're playing quarters. We're hard matching. 
everything. Our corners are basically manned up. Our safeties are playing off man. Linebackers, you got everything underneath. Um, you know, you're jamming receivers, and we're basically going to be gap sound in our run game. And then if we want to change it up, we might play a low cover two. We might maybe play a low cover three, and then we get a little exotic on third down. And that's what made it simple for us because we knew the most thinking we were doing on third downs was on third downs. But when you got guys like, you know, Joey Bosa and Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard rushing the pass, it doesn't matter how exotic you get because they get off the ball and they, they create havoc. So um, it was it was a unique change for us, but it was definitely a good change. Buck Nutters, you cannot get better answers than that. I was just trying to think as you were answering that if there was anybody on the earth more qualified to answer those questions, and I came up with the answer of no. So we appreciate Joshua stopping by again. He's been a tremendous addition to the site. Have a good one, Buck Nutters. Thanks.